All right, let's get this started. Another Salt City Hoops podcast. I'm Dan Clayton. Uh, ready to talk some jazz at the quarter mark, roughly the quarter mark of the regular season. Uh, 23 games in, the Jazz are 14-9, and nine, and here to talk to me about it is another Clayton. My brother Ken is on the other end of the line. How's it going, Ken? Hey, doing pretty good here in uh, not as warm as it once was Phoenix. Well, I don't necessarily want to hear that kind of complaining. <laughs> Up here in uh, up here in chilly Brooklyn, so um, you know it's December. I guess that's kind of what happens in December. I know, I know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because we're in the 60s for highs this <laughs> week, so it's pretty rough. It's we've got the parkas out and we're uh, you know wearing the boots and shoveling snowshine to get to our cars. Sunshine, sunshine. It kind of reminds me of when we were talking. So Ken and I have been looking at, uh, after recently going to a jazz game at Madison Square Garden and then another one in Philadelphia, we've kind of been playing with the idea of, hmm, where else could we go see the jazz play um, that we haven't seen them play? And as we were talking about that, you know, the, the idea came up of going to the Midwest, going to the Great Lakes region for a four-game trip in early to mid-March. And I thought, who goes to that region in early March. And then I realized that like, really your choices are pretty limited during the NBA season. Like it's going to be cold when you go to Minnesota and it's the NBA season. Yeah. You get, I mean, you, you mid March is probably better than November through February and the jazz don't usually do an Eastern swing in April. So we're it's you know, limited opportunities and March might be as good as we ever get. So bring a jacket. Yeah. Uh, well, so far the jazz have, uh, not gone to those places. They have played 23 games, though, which means just over the weekend they hit the uh, the quarter mark. We're cheating a little bit. We're sneaking an extra couple of games in, um, you know, to this to this quote unquote quarter mark analysis. And they've been a couple of interesting games. I don't know, you know, maybe we'll take a minute and talk about those games in isolation. Um, two games where the Jazz beat probable lottery teams, one at home, one on the road. Um, both games where they took big leads, looked good, looked solid, and then uh, looked like they were doing their dingest to give away said big leads towards the end. So, I don't know, Ken, any, any big high-level macro impressions from uh, at Lakers and then last night's win at home over Phoenix? Uh, no, and, and I think even if you go back to Denver, the Denver game as well, which was game 21, the macro impression I got is uh, these early leads don't don't fall in love with them, and that's something hopefully the Jazz will take care of going forward. But uh, that the fourth quarter has not been kind recently, <laughs> and it's been way worse than second quarters. So you can you can say it's personnel, but you also got to say, well, that personnel didn't completely fall apart in the second quarter. So. Uh, you know, maybe it's just the other team is uh, knows that it's the end of the game, so they're coming to play for the fourth quarter. But boy, it's been pretty brutal for three games in a row. And uh, of course, against Miami, it was brutal a lot longer than just the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a natural ebb and flow to it. I, I think that there's um, some human nature in the psychology of what happens when you're up 20. I also think it's human nature when a team's down 20 and is kind of waiting for that moment to, um, you know, to sense an opportunity to seize momentum back. Um, so, so I think, 
you know, fans like to panic about, oh, the the Jazz always give up lead. Well, every team always gives up lead. You know what I mean? Like, get, NBA games are a give and take. Um, you know, teams go on runs, and and nobody wins, you know, 110 to zero. So that happens. That said, I, you know, I do think that, um, Dane, you know, the Jazz damn near gave away both games. Like, I do think that one thing is allowing a run, and another thing is from 23 up to literally tied at 103 um, on Tuesday night against Phoenix. So, you know, I think that there's some things to worry about there, um, even though NBA games just have runs on both sides. Yeah, no, I and I, I, I know what you're saying. I was trying to quickly look up, and I won't be able to do it fast enough. In, in all three games, though, Denver, Lakers, and uh, last night, uh, help me out here. Uh, Whoever Phoenix. it was, Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix, yeah, the home team here in the Valley of the Sun. Uh, it it was, if not a twenty point lead, pretty pretty close. It was twenty three. The lead got to twenty three at one point. No, a twenty three in Phoenix, but even the Lakers oh, and yeah, Denver yeah, yeah. were were dang close. I I know what you're saying about ebbs and flows, and you know I've watched who knows how many hundreds of games, but three nights in a row, <laughs> giving away, giving up twenty point leads to lottery teams. It yeah. still disturbs me a lot, and, and it is related to the guys who are out there. I'm not giving them a complete pass because they don't do it in the second quarter, but part of it is related to the guys who aren't playing, and so the guys who are playing in those second and fourth quarter minutes are not the guys we're going to see long-term, we hope. Yeah. As much. Totally fair point. Um, so that we actually, that's not what we wanted to dwell on today. We wanted to take some time. We thought a fun way to... Um, review 23 games so far is to talk about the season by kind of picking each other's brains so ken and i are going to go back and forth and and ask each other some questions that we can use as launching points to um you know to figure out the the status of the jazz so um ken i'm gonna i'm gonna try you first i'm gonna test you first with a, uh, a a macro question, a big macro question, as macro as it gets, um, you know the Jazz have spent a lot of time talking about their goal this season being making the playoffs. So twenty three games in, they're fourteen and nine. They're currently seventh in the Western Conference. Are you, as of today, more sure, less sure, or about the same? that the Jazz will make the 2017 NBA playoffs? Uh, I, I, my first reaction is pretty close to the same, but, I, but I'd probably go a little bit more, and I'll elaborate on that a little bit. I think I was pretty sure leading into the season that I felt like they were going to be making the playoffs, as most people were. I think that includes both fans and even the Hold your hold on to your seat here. National media seemed to be pretty excited about the additions the Jazz had made, plus a year of maturing, you know, the team that they already had. Um, I agreed, expected them to make the playoffs, but there's always that nagging doubt, you know, who, what if the guys who come in don't contribute? What if this? What if that? So I am more certain now. Uh, there's the there's the statistic I think that. Generally, 20 games in, what is it, seven out of eight playoff teams are, are usually set. And this year, as I look at the standings, I almost wonder if it's going to end up being eight out of eight because the, the top eight in, in the West, anyway, the top eight in the West, 
then there's just such a gap between Portland, who's currently at number eight, and the Lakers, who are number nine, and then it drops from there. I almost wonder if we already know who the eight playoff teams are going to be in the West. Now, maybe somebody, the Lakers, Denver, Sacramento, maybe somebody will make a run and, and somebody will drop out. But I feel fairly confident that we already know who the eight teams in the playoffs are going to be in the West, and the Jazz are one of them. Then it would be a question of positioning. Yeah, I agree. That's why I would say I, I feel like we're more sure today, or at least I'm more sure today that the Jazz will make the playoffs. Um, you know, it, when when assessing that on October 24th or before, um, I think the big um, the big caveat was, was injuries. Well, the Jazz have now been dealing with injuries for almost a solid month, more than a solid month, and, um, and are still at 14-9 and nine, and still have a really good point differential and have faced a, a schedule strength that is pretty close to average. So, you know, I think if anything, they've shown, um, they've shown that even with, you know, injuries here, that we can kind of remove that caveat that this is a team that truly, does, you know, the, the point over the offseason was to acquire depth so that the Jazz could make it through more, um, you know, make it through more injuries. And I think they're doing that now. And then to your point, it's that gap. Like, so so if the Jazz, even if the Jazz were to tumble past Oklahoma City, um, who they have a far better, like almost double the point the point differential of Oklahoma City, even if they were to tumble past Memphis, whose point differential is negative, by the way, and even if they were to tumble past Portland, whose point differential is almost negative two, the next team down that's the most likely team to to jump in at the expense of whoever falls out is Denver and the jazz are already two and one in their season series against Denver. So, um, you know, nothing's a guarantee until it's a guarantee, but I think there's a reason that the stat models like 538 puts the jazz's chances at 97% B ref puts it at 99%. I, I, at this point I'm planning on watching jazz basketball in late April. Yay. That'll be a nice change. Um, yeah, and, and the other thing I'd add too is, I mean, there's we could have another discussion now or later about what we think Jazz chances are to move up because they're a game out of fourth, and their point differential again is better than the team currently in fourth, which is the Houston Rockets. In fact, it's almost as good as the team in second, the Spurs, uh, five point plus positive differential. Jazz are four point nine, so it's they're playing like a team that should be have a better record, and they've got two or three guys waiting in the wings. Hopefully, knock on wood, we're going to see them one of these days yeah. all at the same time. Yeah, I uh, I spent the offseason telling people that I thought the Jazz would not finish lower than fifth. And if you look at the way point differential is shaking out, which point dif- the reason we talk point differential for, for folks who don't know is because point differential – typically is a better predictor than um, of a, a better indicator of future quality than straight win loss record. If you look at point differential, if you look at simple rating, which is basketball references version of point differential, where they adjust it to the um, opponents that the jazz have played. Um, there's just almost no scenario where the jazz don't look like a top five team in the West. Now the sixth team that might complicate matters a little bit is Oklahoma City, and it's tough to count them out because they have, you know, probably the MVP front runner, and 
some basketball games just plain flat come down to who's the best player in the gym and OKC might squeak out an extra couple of wins because they have the best player in the gym and the Jazz might lose some close games because they don't have the best player in the gym um, but beyond that I, I think I'm still saying that I think four to five is where I realistically expect the Jazz to land yeah no I would agree uh I'm, I'm I'm still pretty optimistic. In fact, like he's you know, more optimistic than I even was on day one because now I have 23 games of data plus some hope for the future in the you know in the injury situation to think yeah they're doing they're doing okay they're where they are now they're on a 50 game pace right now 49.93 I think when I multiplied it out but uh, there's room for improvement there in a couple of ways. And hopefully that materializes. And honestly, the, we you got to think love averages is going to catch up, and they're going to quit losing as many games to injury. They even brought it up last night on the on the local Phoenix broadcast of the Jazz Phoenix game, and it mentioned that the Jazz have lost more games to injury than anybody in the league. That probably won't continue. At some point, people are going to get healthy. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, all right, bring the heat. What do you got for me? Okay, <clears throat> my question for you to start out, 23 games in, you know, I know I know some of your answers to this, but we'll see what your your ultimate answer to this is. What is the biggest weakness you see in the Jazz so far? Um, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to not give the health answer because A, that's too easy, and B, I think if we're, if we're trying to take these first 23 and extrapolate some expectations from them for the for the remaining three quarters of the season we kind of have to assume that at some point guys will play I think once they do start playing the thing that these first 23 games have have shown us is that the Jazz are going to be pretty shallow up front even when everybody's healthy um Boris Diaw has had a couple of nice games now. The Jazz in two out of the last three games, they've gotten good Boris Diaw, and good Boris Diaw makes a big difference over not good Boris Diaw. Um, and, you know, Trey Lyles, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, he's he's left some stuff to be desired. So, um, you know, I think we talked about this in our first podcast of the season, but... When I was looking at the Jazz's depth chart, the guy that I felt like the Jazz couldn't really afford to miss to injury for any extended period of time was Favors, just because, you know, even even Gordon, who is, you know, really important to what the Jazz do, you take him out and you can adjust the lineup and you can give touches to other guys and they're there are dudes who do similar things in terms of, um, you know, handling the ball in the pick and roll and that sort of thing. Um, you know, big wing, like Rodney Hood is another big wing who can score over smaller defenders after you run the one, three pick and roll, whatever. Like you can, you can find some, you can replicate some portion of what Gordon Hayward gives you. And really, I don't think you can do the same up front with Rudy or with Fave. So I, I think if anything, they've kind of reminded us that like, Hey, yeah, you know, there are some nice guys in the backup big spots, but they're either guys that are kind of tailing, you know, tailing off in their careers or they're, and consequently may have good nights and then may have nights where they look like old dudes. 
um, says this old dude, and, or they're or they're rotation bigs who some nights are going to help the team win and some nights aren't going to help the team win. So, um, so I think that's probably something I'm I'm worried about, along with you know the the closing games thing and um, I don't, I don't know. What do you am, am I off base? What what did you have as the uh, as the biggest concern or weakness? Sorry, you just mentioned you're an old guy, and I'm just quickly looking up. Yes, you are older than Joe Johnson, who's the old elder statesman. You have reached an age in life, congratulations, where you are older than every jazz player. So I hadn't I hadn't thought of that before. You know, that sounds like smack talking, which just makes me wonder what it would be like to be 11 years older than the guy who is older than every jazz member. Hey, uh, you know what? Uh, you, you like to bring that up, but uh, I will. Po- I will just add. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll add to that. I am even older, and I'm pretty sure <clears throat> that I have. Where is Dante? There's. Yeah, I have a son who's older than a member of the Jazz. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Chad was born three, four, about four months ahead of Dante Exum. And oh, and and Trey Lyles is even younger than that. So yeah, and yet and yet, random baseline lady sitting at Wells Fargo Center still wondered if we were twins. You brought it up, jerk face. I did. Uh, all right. So okay. big, biggest weakness. Back to the biggest weakness so far. Yeah, I can hear exactly what it, positionally. I a hundred percent agree. They're still just a little thin up front. That said, assuming we get we keep Rudy healthy, assuming. Derek Favors comes back and is playing 30 minutes a game. I think that's going to disappear to a certain extent because I have to think that Lyles, Diaw, and in a pinch withy can handle 18, 12 to 18 minutes per position per night. Right now, they're they're sticking out a little more like a sore thumb because they're playing beyond those roles and they, you know, I won't say they shouldn't need to because that's why they're there. They're there for depth, but in an ideal world, they won't need to on a nightly basis. So the thing I was going to go with on the biggest weakness is more of a, you know, during the game in court flow, not a positional thing. And it's the thing that's been driving me nuts. And I know every team does it, and this is why momentum shifts in games. But it just feels to me that when the momentum starts to shift, and it might even be related to the to the front court, the shallow front court rotation, when the momentum starts to shift, it just feels like to me every single time the Jazz go into happy three-point shooting mode. And I'd love to see that stop because in general, when you're when you're starting to clutch and you're starting to, you know, get something a little closer to the basket. Now, you know, against a Miami, I saw it big time, and I know Hassan Whiteside was sitting back there in the paint, and that was part of the reason. I just I just hate to see that on a night when the, the other team's score starts making that run. And you get three or four three-pointer three-point attempts in a row. Even if one of them goes down, I'm like, you know, let's get something going to the basket. Try to get to the line. Try to get closer to the hoop because it feels to me like they they let that run get bigger for the other team because of that. And not like I don't want the three-pointer as part of the offense, but I just feel like when the other team is making a run, take a little bit sure shot. That's fair. That's fair. I think, you know, last night in particular, we're recording this on Wednesday, so I'm referring to the Phoenix game. Um, You know, in the Phoenix game in particular, um, I thought that a lot of the shots that the Jazz were missing late 
were very similar shots to the shots they were making early. Like, I, I don't, you know. But to your point, sometimes sometimes I don't think NBA teams have to be as afraid as they are of the 15-footer. Like, fake the yeah. guy off, step in, take a 15-footer that doesn't force you to go up the chest of the big guy. What Like, that can be... An open 15-footer in rhythm is as good a shot as, you know, <clears throat> whatever. Going at the 7-foot-1 Hassan Whiteside and flipping something up on a double clutch. Like, um, I think I think that there's a reductive idea right now in the league and in, and in the conversation about the league around what good shot means. Um, and... You know, a good a good elbow eighteen footer can be a real pressure release valve to an offense that's struggling. Um, or, or to your point, just just go into the paint and try to create things. And that's actually, I think, what the Jazz have wound up doing in a couple of these close games is just breaking the paint and um, and seeing what that creates for them or for others. So, so I agree with you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. The next question I was going to ask. And this this might this might or might not be a two part question. Um, we'll we'll see if it is. <laughs> um, so one of my Twitter pals is uh, is Scott Scotty Scotty P thirty I think is his handle, um, and he argue he, he likes to make the argument to me that the Jazz have a best player and an MVP who are different guys. Um, I won't tell you who he thinks is which one because I want your answer. But bottom line is who is who through 23 games has been Utah's MVP slash best player? And, and is that this in this particular sample, is that the same player or are we talking about different players um, for those for those titles? Uh, best player. <clears throat> I'm going to have to go with, you know, there's, there, we, I know when you're handing out game balls and we're talking about the big three and on a night when all of them are playing, it's sometimes a, oh, but he was great in this quarter and he was great in that quarter. I'm going to go best players is, is uh, got to be Gordon Hayward. He's taken his game to a new level, which we t- have talked about in previous podcasts, that 20 point average. And now he's sitting at 23.6 plus some nice numbers in some other columns as well. Uh, I don't think you can make an argument that he's not the best player on the team. Um, and Quinn Snyder agrees with you, by the way, because he yeah. frequently refers to Gordon as, quote-unquote, our best player. I, yeah, exactly. I'm, and that's why Quinn thinks that is because he agrees with me, right? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> In fact, okay. one day he was like, well, you know, I was thinking about who our best player is. Wait, have any of you listened to the Brothers Clayton podcast recently? <laughs> yeah. And then I think yeah. it was Jody or Andy was like, yeah, Ken says it's Gordon, so that okay. settled that. Okay. Uh, most valuable player, so obviously he's in the mix. Um, I'm trying to, you know, obviously Rudy would be in the mix because he does a whole lot of good things for the for the team. Obviously, I don't think he's the best player, but he is incredibly valuable. And but he, but that's probably accentuated a little more right now in Favors' absence. It's scary to think where the Jazz might be without him while Favors is out. Um, we'd be starting a what a Withy Diaw combo every night, and we might be in a world of hurt. Uh, so, you know, you could make an argument for Gordon. Some people might make the argument for Hill because they have such a better record when he plays, but I just, I, I'm not going to pick anybody for best or MVP who's only played 11 out of 23 games. 
the games he's played, he's been spectacular. He's been more than I expected he would be, and I had pretty high expectations. Yeah, so so I agree. I I would say that the MVP is also Gordon. I th- I think that um, it can be easy sometimes to get lost in the counting stats aspect of things. Um, I think when you look at how teams prepare for the Jazz, how they approach the Jazz, how they defend, um, it, it just Gordon is so central to the Jazz's identity at this point in ways that makes it easier for other people to score. So I think sometimes, you know, Rodney gets 13 in a first quarter because the other team wants to hug Gordon Hayward on every pick and roll and that sort of thing. So um, to me, it's kind of an easy pick. Now, now to, to my buddy Scott's um, point, I think, I think he is looking at just sort of the record with Hill, the record without Hill. Um, obviously, you have, to, you have to look at opponent who the Jazz were playing in those stretches, who else was healthy and who wasn't healthy and that sort of thing. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that you could make a case that George Hill has been pretty dang valuable when he has played and has felt even more valuable when he hasn't played. Um, but for my money, I think Gordon is the type of player, to put it in a Dennis Lindsay term, Gordon is the type of player who defines the way the Jazz play and defines the way that other teams play them. And that's why I think he's... Um, you know, has the most impact on every single game um, with apologies to Hill and Gobert. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think we're probably thinking the same way there. So let's move on flip side of that. I feel like I'm, you're Mr. Happy. You're asking about the Jazz making the playoffs, and I ask about the biggest weakness. You ask about who's the best player, and I'm going to ask you now, to you, 15-man roster, who's been the most disappointing player of the season for you so far? And I'll let you define kind of how 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 that means. Somebody you were expecting more out of and didn't get it or you know, whatever. You go for it. Yeah, I so I would just go full Webster on the term disappointing and say, you know, like to me it's a the, – the numerator is what I've seen out of this player and the denominator is what we could have reasonably expected. Um, that's my equation for disappointing. And for me, I don't think there's anyone who has performed – less you know performed lower relative to my expectations or or my hopes um than trey lyles and i don't know maybe maybe that'll be controversial maybe not um i think a lot of people get excited about trey when he you know makes a big play that a 610 guy shouldn't be able to make or when he hits a jumper or when he does something you know really special on offense I just think macro, he's not helping the Jazz win games right now. Um, in fact, I, I feel that way most nights. And he comes in and I and I watch kind of, um, to be honest, if anything, I think at this point I'm watching him with the benefit of the doubt. I'm watching him, you know, I'm trying to turn the critical part of my brain off and look for the signs and the, and the positive things. And instead what I see is, you know, uh, I, I see him, showing a driver his body and then moving out of the way and the driver scores a layup or I see him you know not getting after a rebound or I see him um, <clears throat> taking an open shot and making and turning it into a, a difficult shot or a bad play I think his decision making is a little off um, so you know aside from health related disappointments which there have clearly been plenty of those 
I think the guy who – and by the way, all summer people were really excited about Trey based on the flashes he showed as a rookie. And I, and I was kind of the whole time thinking, I'm not sure he was really that great as a rookie. I think he just – he had games where he scored in bunches. He had games where he did some other nice things. But I didn't want to rain on anybody's parade or pee in anybody's Cheerios or whatever, you know, pick your metaphor. Because I, cause I thought the whole time I was like, no, you know what? I'm not going to run out and go on the Trey Lyles isn't as good as you think he is parade because, um, because I think he'll come back in his second season and look a lot better. And I think it's disappointing um, to me that he kind of looks stuck in some of the same habits and some of the same uh, issues as last year. So he's been my biggest disappointment. Um, there have been others that, you know, I expected to take bigger leaps or I expected to look better in different ways or whatever. And, you know, the Exum stuff that's happening right now is frustrating on a lot of different levels. But to me, um, I think Trey is getting a huge pass from people because potential or a huge pass because, oh, look, he just made a shot. And yet go look at his shooting numbers like he's not he's not efficient right now. He's. He's hurting the Jazz on offense, and he's definitely hurting the Jazz on defense. Yeah, well, I think the pass, it seemed to me, the pass started to expire a little bit last night when he only got 13 minutes against Phoenix. Um, that was the lowest he played for some time. I don't remember how far back that went, but I looked that up earlier. Yeah, I can. I had a hard time narrowing this down to one. I had kind of a four-man field, maybe even five. I'm really, I'm really going out on a limb here. Uh, Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw have definitely not met the expectations I had. Uh, it was kind of a funny thing last night. Uh, the the Phoenix Suns broadcast team, because that was the only option I had here in Phoenix because the Jazz broadcast was blacked out. Um, both those guys played in Phoenix at one point in their careers, and it was the Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw love fest about how what wonderful guys they are, and they're just the best you know they know more about basketball and they're the guys who are going to teach the jazz how to win and all this and i do get that and that's why they you know that's why the jazz went out and got both of them to some extent but you know their play has not really been as stellar as as all that that talk uh but eddie johnson sure loved him uh lyles was definitely on my list and then probably both mac and exum were on my list of potential guys for this for this column, uh, and I know you know some of the Exum, you, you know we can we can point at Quinn Snyder. Maybe he didn't deal with that well five games ago, six games ago. But uh, when, when it boils down, and then last night I know there was a lot of talk on Twitter about how Exum wasn't getting the same calls that a lot of guys get. But ultimately, he's got to he's got to play through that. Um, if I had to if I had to pick, I'm not going to pick the same as you, although I certainly could. Um, I, I also think. Part of the reason Lyles has had to do as much as he's had to do is that with the last couple of games as an exception, Diaw has been so low. And so I might go with Diaw on this one just because at one point he was a two-point-a-game scorer. He has pulled that all the way up to 4.7 points a game. And beyond that, I mean, actually his shooting numbers just barely last night passed Lyles' shooting numbers. So I think I, I, I might go there. In fact, his three-point shooting is still even more abysmal. But it's I, I might go with Boris, but I know I hear exactly what you're saying with Trey. It's a it's a tough decision between those two. And unfortunately, they're both getting pushed into more minutes with Favors absence with both of them averaging basically 21, 22 minutes a game. Yeah, no, I could I could definitely buy Boris Diaw. I'm I'm a little bit of a I've had this argument with people on Joe. I don't think Joe has played that bad. I think that 
people are used to certain things from Joe and um and he and he's in a different role than he's ever been in his career. But you know, like his field goal percentage is right in the area right in the range of his career average. It's actually eight tenths of a percentage point higher than his career average. His three point shooting is much higher than his career average. His free throw shooting is higher than his career average. Rebounds per 36 are up. Points per 36 are down a little bit because he's not getting the touches. You know what I mean? I, I, now, there have been games where he's exposed the Jazz a little bit on defense. There have been games where um, he wasn't as assertive as he needed to be. Um, but I, so far, I think I, I actually think that the Jazz are getting kind of what I expected from Joe. Um, but you're right that Boris, man, he he just struggled early and granted i mean it was a couple of games here and then he'd miss some time and then he'd come back and play a game or two and then he'd miss some time and um and maybe it's just now that he's fully healthy but uh but man you're that's what i mean like between lyles and and boris um and then jeff withy came in and has had some nice minutes but um and some bad minutes but he's yeah and some bad minutes because he's just he's he, he is what he is i mean this is a guy who was unemployed last fall and the jazz came in with a minimum contract and got him. So, you know, like, um, so anyway, I, I think just back to our point about depth front court depth. Um, you know, I, I think we, I think we agree here, different names, but we're kind of saying some of the same things about, um, about what the jazz are and aren't getting from the, from the rotation. My next question was going to be, um, Oh, here's a big one. This is another big one. Um, are you more or less sure on December 7th than you were on October or whatever that Gordon Hayward will still be wearing jazz colors next fall? Well, I think this goes, in my opinion, this goes hand in hand with the the playoffs question, although that's not the only thing. I think that, uh, I, I think that, yes, I, I do think that he is, um, I'm more confident that he will return to the Jazz in 2017-18 than I was at the start of the season for kind of the same reasons. I feel like they'll make the playoffs. I feel like they might have a four or five seed and get to the second round. And then we'll, we'll see what happens in the second round, especially if they're the four or five winner, um, because we know what that leads to in the second round. Um, and then I, because, you know, I can't imagine a player getting to that point, having a team kind of build around them. They brought in at least two players that I think have a real history and connection with him and Mac and Hill. I, I would think he would stay. And then just the basic fact that the Jazz are going to be able to pay him more than anybody else. I, I think he stays as far as, you know, December 7th, the best I can predict. You know, I think I was guardedly optimistic before the season. And, I'm, and then I got more optimistic than guarded. And then I got more guarded than optimistic. And I think the net effect of all of that is I'm, I'm about where I was before the season. I... I I still think it's more likely than not, but there have been some other there have been some things that have happened that have uh, that have made me wonder. Um, in particular, so f so for a couple straight weeks, the the quotes portion of my Salt City Seven, I pointed to quotes that Gordon said that made it sound like he was starting to get 
you know that this was something special and that this was a team that was built to to compete over the next several years and it was his team and it was and they had turned the corner and that sort of thing and then if you heard his comments after um after the miami game man they were rough i mean he you know someone asked him if if they were proud that the jazz had fought if he was proud of the bench because of how they stepped up with all the injuries and fought and he basically said well no we lost so i'm not proud of anything like he had an opportunity to just kind of say the politically correct thing and say oh yeah good job bench and instead he was like you know no this isn't good enough so i i do think that it's going to take the jazz making the playoffs i also think by the way um i think it would help a ton if gordon got an all-star selection just because i think part of the calculus when he hits free agency next summer is going to be whether this is right or wrong or good or bad i think part of the calculus is going to be that hey it's easier to make the all-star team in the east than it is in the west so um you know, if he makes it this year and the Jazz win 50 and they make it to the second round, and even if they get schooled in the second round in four or five games by the Warriors, I think it would be awfully hard for him to leave. Anything less than that. And, you know, and, and, I, and I think he could maybe talk himself into something else. So I'm not taking it for granted, but I still think I'm in a place where I think it's more likely than not. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's about what we wanted to cover today, right? Um, yeah, I think so. We had one more potential question, but I think we're probably at a point where we can hold that one off for a later podcast or the mid-season review or something like that. Yeah. The mid-season review, which, by the way, will be mid-January, right? And, um, and that's going to be interesting. That's going to be interesting timing for the Jazz because... Hopefully by then they will have some guys back. Uh, it'll be right around the time of All-Star selection. Hope It also means they will have gotten through this December stretch where they play 11 of 15 at home, at, including some, some non-playoff opponents. And they will have gone out on that early January road trip and kind of tested whatever chemistry they will have developed by the end of December. So it's going to be an interesting... Uh, time to watch over the next month and a half and and see if the Jazz look markedly different at 41 than they do now at 23. Always interesting. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, the Jazz are 14 and 9, and uh, hopefully Ken and I have given you some things to think about and some questions to ask yourselves as you watch the Jazz compete in the next few nights including against a Golden State Warrior team tomorrow that will face, once again, a decimated jazz squad. Rodney Hood, George Hill, Derek Favors, and Alec Burks all expected to miss that one. So it'll be interesting. We'll talk about that one and more next time we hit you on the Salt City Hoops podcast. Thanks for joining us.